It's podcast time again, and we're on fire now. We are getting bigger and better every week, and I love some of my interviews. This one, I'm really going to enjoy. Knew him as a young boy, met his family, fell in love with the family, worked for them, and the story is really interesting because he's going all over the place and getting bigger and bigger. Now married with kids and just a lovely guy. I'm talking about Steve Laycock from the Laycock family. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Peter. When you say bigger and bigger, I hope you went talking about my waistline. Not at all. You've done very well. You've lost a lot of weight. Good on you. Good on you. Let's go right to the beginning. Your family were instrumental in the club scene in um, New Brighton and have been very important and very influential over the years. Uh, yeah, I was brought up in that environment. I was brought up in a very busy, very manic household. My mum and dad working round the clock, round the clock, holding down businesses. We had hotels, we had restaurants, we had beauty salons, we had all sorts of different businesses, and then it kind of settled down into sort of nightclub and leisure industry, which was mainly the main stuff that I remember. So yeah, growing up as a young lad, and we had nightclubs and pubs and bars and stuff, and yeah, that was kind of like. Yeah, that was the beginning of the entertainment industry for me, really. Um, I also, though, I, to be fair, to my mum and dad were really close with my mum's sister. Um, and my mum's sister and husband were very, very much involved in um, entertainment. Um, my auntie was Penny Page and Googie Liverpool Duck, and her husband was David Alexander, who was a pretty famous singer. So very much I had two very different types of entertainment growing up as a kid. I had that nightclub, leisure scene, young people thing, and I had this big cabaret kind of influence on me as well. So, yeah, I think I was destined to be involved in entertainment somewhere. It's interesting you say that because that has given you and your brothers, and you in particular because you're the youngest and you're the one that's developed into a, a little empire, you've had both tastes. So you've seen cabaret as well as dance music. So you can actually put on a show, and we will, of course, talk about Reminisce, we'll talk about In Demand, but... I think that grounding that you mentioned that, because I was going to mention, uh, I, I think that your auntie should have been a British star. Yeah, I, I think do, yeah. she was yeah. an amazing talent and before her time. Yeah, definitely. She was a ventriloquist, wasn't she? So, um, uh, and, I, and I just think she was just unbelievable. Um, and, and I think maybe if she hadn't have been, I don't know whether she was very much in awe of David. Like, I think, you know, she was like, she kind of lived her life more about what David was about. She was more hungry for David's success than her own, I think. Uh, and actually, I think probably she had a bit more scope to be to be something a bit different because at that time, what the type of comedy she was doing and the type of act she was, I mean, she was amazing. I can watch back on her now and it still makes me laugh. Um, I think she was amazing, but I think she put David first a lot. Yeah. I think you're right completely. I think she put her career second. A bit like Scylla Black and Bobby, uh, because Scylla said to Bobby, there's only one star in this family. Yeah. And, you know, he gave up his music career to create hers. But uh, so that's the background. Your clubs were very successful and they were great clubs and they were fun clubs. What did you learn <laughs> from that? Um, people skills, I think. When you when in that type of environment, I, I can remember my dad coming home from work frustrated, and my mum would come home frustrated with people a lot. Um, they would be they would they would see the very best and the worst out of people, and I'm and I'm talking about from from staff and from from public. You're dealing with 
public you're dealing with so many different types of people complaining customers happy customers unhelpful customers same as staff helpful staff unhelpful staff and i think watching watching how there's quite a big age gap between me and my brothers as well so my brothers were quite a bit older than me uh, i'm the youngest of the three and there's nine years between our brian and 12 years between me and gary so they were kind of adults really when i was still a young boy so watching how my mum and dad dealt with people manage people were friends with people how they handled relationships all different aspects of people i think were i, I didn't realize it then but when i think about it now i feel like i'm quite with people you are indeed you're a people person but also uh i learned from your family and working in the nightclubs as i have because i'm uh, so much older than you that they also had people skills with their staff they kept their staff yeah and that's important and in fact you've got staff with you from day one yeah absolutely yeah i, I people I, I never i've never given it really any appreciation until i've become my own boss and until things have escalated, like I, I've been my own boss for quite a long time, but I didn't really have a, a workforce. I didn't have a staff. I didn't have a team. Um, it was kind of a couple of us just making things happen all the time. Whereas obviously now it's grown into something a lot bigger. And I find that those people skills, albeit most days really testing, <laughs> um, I feel like I, I, I'm well equipped. I feel like I've had good training uh, in it. And so now I look at it and go, actually, if you'd asked me this question maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, probably would have give you a different answer into what i took from it i think um just a general education a general street rise a, a, a common sense a, a approach to life i think was probably what i would have said prior to that but as i've got a bit older and i've now got a a sort of big workforce and a, and a lot of people around us i think that those people skills are really important i'm talking to steve laycock known to everybody as cocky a great dj in his own right did you ever think when we first met did you ever think in your wildest dreams you would own a radio station and have an incredibly successful uh, festival not a clue none of those things were ever on my radar ever 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 i was really really happy i loved I still love DJing. Um, I I was DJing at the age of, I was I was making I was earning money as a professional DJ at the age of fifteen. At fifteen years of age, I was going into clubs like the Buzz Nightclub, the State, the Drome, um, the O Five One, the Conti, um, Mr Smith's in Warrington. At fifteen, I was working in established, proper, incredible nightclubs. Because I'd been DJing since 11 or 12, I'd, I used to go down, I had access to a nightclub, my parents had a nightclub, I'd have access on a Saturday, I'd go and spend hours and hours and hours just on the decks practising, people helping me out, giving me opportunities. And I was love DJing, I was happy DJing, and, and, and I'd never really looked past that. The evolution of DJing was, was I fell in love with music, so I wanted to produce and I wanted to make music, which I started to do. The evolution of that was to build my own studios, my own record label. That was all the that was that was my career path. That was I had bits in the background. I had I helped run the family businesses. I helped run the clubs, the bars, the nightclubs, and all that type of stuff in the background. Bringing my skills, which were entertainment and promotion, really. That was what I excelled at. But these all things were my passion. And then it's only sort of circumstance that's kind of steered me off that path into a different path. You know, if we look at the radio station, which has been probably one of the best things I've, I've ever done, came about because of, basically came about because of COVID. Well, so, let, let's leave that there because we're going to so, go on to that. But I, I want to keep the radio station. I want to keep Reminis. I want to stay with you. Okay. Now, so you had the family business that you were involved with. So you're also making money from that. 
because the most important thing I, I find these days is everybody wants to be a DJ, but they don't realize there isn't that much money if you're just starting off. It's not like it was. You can reach great heights, but you still need a background, don't you? So you had that background behind there you. There ain't many DJs left that are just DJs. That's the truth of it. You're not a DJ anymore. A DJ is a music producer. A DJ is an event promoter. He's a social media expert. A DJ, he or she now, is there's more important aspects to being a DJ than actually being as a stand there and, and mix tunes together and, and do program music and selections, much more to it. DJing now is not that job. DJing is now you've got to have be able to do 10 or 15 things to be able to make it success. And if you look at any of the big name DJs on any level, they're not just DJs. They are brilliant at making music, at marketing, at promotion, at putting events on, whatever it might be, they excel in other areas. And then they get the live show, the DJ aspect of it, the fun part of it is the bonus to those other things. So how, it's different. How, Steve, how do, because you also promote because of Reminisce, so you now are on the other side where you know the fees that you have to pay. How do they justify the amounts of money that these big DJs get? And it is vast amounts of money in some cases. How does who justify it? The DJ themselves? Yeah. or well, why, why does it, same as how does a Premier League footballer justify the type of money that they're earning? If, if if the business that they're in is generating that amount of money, then you could argue that the Premier League is as big as it is because of the players that are playing in the Premier League, so they deserve to be paid well for that. It's the same with DJ, and if you look at Calvin Harris and David Guetta and all the other big international DJs that are all making millions and millions and millions... They're making it because the money is in that scene and they're at the forefront of that scene. So you could argue. And at the end of the day, if you're going to go and pay 200 quid for the ticket to go and see Tiesto or, or, or Calvin Harris or whatever it is you're going to go and pay to go and see these people, they deserve to earn the money, don't they? What makes a good DJ then? The, the, one of these names? Because in my day, before you were born, when I started DJing, when I was a chef and then became a DJ, you you walked off to records. You danced to live music, and the break was in between. With the but now DJs are monster. They're huge. They're it's an opinion because my opinion on what makes a DJ brilliant would be different from maybe somebody else's. So, in my opinion, what makes a, a great and actually what makes an actual great DJ is the ability to read the crowd and to be able to program a crowd. But you can learn it. I don't believe it's not a gift. It's not like a. a I hate to keep going back to the football thing, but it's a really easy analogy to be able to make to explain it. There's certain footballers that you can train. You can coach them, you can train them to a certain level. You can give them the skills that they need. But a likes of a Wayne Rooney or a Cristiano Ronaldo or one of these players are born with a gift that you can't teach. It's in them. And so that's I think that applies to DJs. I say DJ slash promoters because I think there's no successful DJs left, really, unless they're decent at, at making music or at least claiming to be or at least being clever enough to be able to present that they're making music. It's a really big part of it now. And there's very, I would, I, in fact, I would probably stand up now and say there's probably no big international DJs left that aren't putting out music on some level. So, but for, it depends if you talk about from an audience performance point of view, it's capturing the energy, it's being able to program a set, it's being able to do that stuff. But, all that stuff can it is not important because if you don't know how to market yourself, you don't know how to place yourself or where to place yourself, 
then you'll never get to that point where you're getting the recognition as a DJ anyway. I know absolutely an abundance of the most incredibly talented DJs that there are technically the best DJs you can ever see, but they ain't on the world stage with some of the other guys, yeah. um, because they haven't got they they haven't got the business now, or the marketing savvy, or the access to be able to create the killer tunes that are needed, or whatever it is to elevate them to that level. Let's go back to the beginning. We first met at Bobby's Bar, and uh, we were doing karaoke, and it was a great night. Once again, your staff. Kenny was around. There was a lot of people who are still with you now, and it was great. Did you see the writing on the wall for the way clubs were changing? Because you'd had, um, you were involved with all the businesses. Did, did you sense it was changing? Yeah, uh, I, I. You could sense that it was time to move away from it. You could sense that it was time to move away from um, a day-to-day operation. You could see the advances of technology. You could see smoking bans. You could see all these things that were coming in. The biggest one for me, above all that, was you could see the social media explosion. And I think, for me, the beginning of the end... So when we talk about the heydays of nightclubs, raves, of all this sort of era going through the end of the 90s and into the early 2000s, for me, the beginning of the end was the millennium. So going into 2000, when you talk about the amount of hype... It was insane. I did something like seven gigs that night. Like, it was just unbelievable. The, the amount of money that was getting thrown around. There was Liverpool City Centre, just as Liverpool, had probably seven, eight successful nightclubs, brilliant nightclubs, all chocker, three nights a week. You could see that that was never going to sustain. Um, and then someone says to me, what, what, what's the difference? What's the big key difference between, say, now? Because there's no real nightclubs left anymore at all. It's a bar culture. The nightclub, as it was traditionally, is gone. It's event spaces now. So you have great event spaces like Camp and Fairness and places like this where you're putting a regular different events on. But you would never be able to open a nightclub every Friday and Saturday or every Thursday, Friday and Saturday like you used to be able to do now and put 2,000 people. It just wouldn't happen. We used to go out on a Monday on a Tuesday night. It was like... the and people say what's the difference the difference now for me is social so you're now sociable by sitting in the house in your boxes because you've got social media so you can chat to hundreds of people you know and 5,000 people new people that you don't know you can go on dating sites you can get food delivered to your house you can chat to the girl next door you can you, you can do everything without ever leaving home so that whereas in them days you, you couldn't if you wanted to go out and meet a girl you had to go out you'd have to go out and try and meet and chat a girl up if you wanted to see your mates you'd have to go out to see your mates and do something to be social to have that social link to have that and you could see with how the the speed at which internet and social media yeah. was growing and i was like i was really on board i've always been really on board with technology so you know i had an email address and a website and all that type of stuff long before most other people even knew what it was but you could see it coming and were the family aware of this? Did, did did they laugh at you when you said, you know, we've got to change? I mean, because they're, you know, uh, the family, it's a very strong family. Brian's got a personality. Gary's got a personality. Your dad, bless him, had a personality. Your mum's got a personality. So was it... By this point, pulling it was kind each of, other apart. By this point, it was kind of left to the three brothers. My dad was in Port Elf by this point when you go into sort of t- towards the millennium. My dad was in Port Elf anyway. Uh, my mum was kind of took a back seat. So it was the three brothers and an uncle, uh, my uncle Mike. And I was up, Gary and Bri are very, very extremely different on every opinion view. And I was always floating in the middle. And um, I, I, I think probably getting to 
probably not long after my dad died in 2006, I, I'd already started to step away from the family businesses and Brian had started to step away from him and, and we were kind of leaving Gary to make the decisions because we used to battle a lot. We used to we used to have lots of disagreements about the way things should and shouldn't be done. Um, I think truthfully, I think I I my opinions maybe were a bit too. A few, not too futuristic sounds crazy, but I think I, I was a bit of a progressionist. I wanted to grow, I wanted to evolve, I wanted to change, and maybe some of the others guys, my brothers and stuff in the family, maybe were a bit more set in the ways. Maybe maybe not, but we definitely had different opinions. Um, and so I knew I wanted to progress with my own things. At that point, it was the music, it was the DJ, and it was all that type of stuff. Um, and my bro- we left my brother Gary. We scaled the business down. We sold a few off, and we left my brother Gary in charge of it. And we stayed there as a backbone to support him. But we were prepared to let him make them decisions. Um, and that was probably the best decision that collectively we probably made at that point. Did you see as as you were involved and 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 great friends with uh, Lee Butler, who you're now in business with? But did you see the writing on the wall for radio? Because of course we'll move on to in demand now. I mean, was it one day you went, "I need in demand. I need a radio station." So going back to. 20 I, I had a, I had my own show on Radio City uh, I used to do two weekend shows on Radio City Friday Saturday nights after hours Lee was doing his two shows he was doing Friday and Saturday night with plastic surgery and then we had Pez we had uh, Dave Graham Anton we were all on there and the dance weekends on Radio City were absolutely Monster. Amazing. they were huge Monster. they were brilliant absolutely. Uh, Juice popped up and started making some noise and everyone's like oh it's making a bit of noise but because City was still so streetwise at this point in my opinion anyway Juice it held Juice back, so Juice were trying and they were knocking and they were knocking and knocking, but they couldn't make the progress they 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 wanted to make because Radio City was still very strong and was still very much in touch with the people. My opinion was they let, and this is not because they they let me go. They let me go. They let Les go. They let Pez go. They basically let the entire dance weekend staff go, and just kept Leon at that point, and everyone else went. And they were like, oh, dance music's not the way forward. It's not, you know, we're falling more in line. Which was the company's policy. Yeah, it was the company policy nationally. It was a national company. It wasn't a local company anymore. And you could gradually see the decisions they were making. Why are we paying all these lads to do all this stuff? We don't need it. We can just use national output and just play the same music. It doesn't matter. So, yeah, you could see it coming. You could also see the growth of Juice. So it was was only a matter of time, and it happened a lot quicker than everyone think, that actually Juice then surpassed City as the market leader for the first time when no one thought that was possible. And it was all of a sudden, it was like, oh my God, this little, this little tiny little thing here has actually surpassed the big boy. And everyone's like, ah, actually, the local is important. The local is really important. So the fact that Juice made so much money, the capital came in and went, this is a massive station, we're going to buy this because we can be market leader in the city. The problem they had is they've come and bought this incredible station and then they've done what City have done and just turned it into the same national brand. So we knew, going back to probably 2012, before Juice got sold out, that there was going to be a market opening up, but Juice was there. When Juice went and went to Capital, we then went, this is going to be the end of local radio because they'll just do what City have done and make it national output and get rid of all local. So let's start having to think about this. But we just felt that someone else was going to do it. We were just like, you know what? This is too big an audience and too big a, big a marketplace. Someone, one of the big boys will do this. Somebody like, you know, a, a, a kiss or someone will pop up and do something brilliant and it'll be a great local station. But they didn't. No one did it. A few a few little ones tried and, 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 and didn't really work. Had some good ideas, but just didn't really work. <clears throat> and so we just kept an eye on it. And then 
as we progressed through that, it got to probably about 2017, 2018. And we were like, you know what? We should use our infrastructure. We had all the music studios. We had several music studios in our premises. We were doing events. We had the festivals. We were doing stuff. And we were like, you know what? We've got enough about us now that and enough people working within the, in the company with knowledge. We should look at starting this. No pressure, no timeline. Let's just start to build it for ourselves and see what happens. So we did. We started to build it. And Chris, my partner, who, man, Lee's partner, who's just an incredible techie. Where did the name come from? In Demand. In Demand, we'd already started back in 2012, 2013. And it was music. It was In Demand music. So it was the studios. It was record labels. It was In Demand events. We started doing some events and marketing promoters. Um, Chris, my partner Chris, actually had the name just sat there from a couple of years before and it was just doing nothing and we were like, it's a brilliant name, let's let's go. He already had a couple of trademarks set up and a couple of business registered, so we like, it was ready to go, let's just do it. Without getting technical, how difficult is it to set up a radio station? And I'm delighted to say you are successful. There must have been times you've gone, this is hard. Yeah, it is, but this I don't mean to this to sound... I don't mean this to sound say it. pompous say it. or arrogant because it's not. It's really, really, really difficult. But it wasn't that difficult for us because with who who we had access to, with the team and the knowledge that we had, and with Chris, my partner, is the most technically you know he's he's a, he's you know he's bordering on a genius. He's a technical genius. You know you set him a challenge to do it, and he finds a way to do it. Whether that's building an app, building a website, creating, building software, yeah. it's just unbelievable. So he gives us the the stability from a tech to be able to create the tech that we need, and then the access that we've got with regards to marketing, promotion, and and doing the things that we need to make it happen. The the the, the knowledge base, the friendship base, the professional work base. You know the access to the people we can speak to. Um. It, it don't get me wrong difficult challenging is in hard work long hours but I, I don't think I, I don't think there's an awful lot of people around that could have done what we've done as quick as what we've done with the impact of what we've done I think that we we've got we got really lucky with a lot of things which we can talk about with COVID in a minute but we got lucky with a lot of things that fell into place for us but the graft and the hard work and the dedication that we've done um, and the effort of everyone involved uh, what wasn't luck, it was just blood, sweat and tears. But Now, it's interesting you said that. You mentioned COVID. COVID worked for the radio, but then not for Reminisce. So let's leave the radio for a minute and come back to that. Yeah. And let's talk about Reminisce. Where did Reminisce fit in to the scheme of things with In Demand? Reminisce had been a plan for a long time. We launched it in 2014. Uh, and it, it came back, as Lee said to me, um, mate, I want to do... This is Lee Butler. Lee Butler, yeah. So Lee said to me, right, I want to do... I want to do, like... I like, I like, remember in the old days, they used to have these illegal raves where they turn off in a field and they'd set a yeah, sound yeah. system. This was his, and he's explaining it to me. And I'm like, yeah, mate, I remember the concept. Like, and he's like, I want to try and do that, a modern day version, you know, like, like a legal one. And I went, it's a festival, mate. You want to do a festival? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to put loads of people, happy, smiley faces in a field and having a dance to great tunes all day. Can we make it happen? And I was like, well, yeah, of course I can. Let's, let's, let's have a go for it. My history on a little part of that we moved out so one of my things that I was doing from when I left out of school is I, were, I was working not only doing my radio show for Radio City but I was working a daytime within the events department and then with my other brother Gary we set up an events company so we were managing events and road shows and stuff for so you had a taste of it yes yeah, so I had a taste for events already so I did I don't know if you know I don't even know if you know this but 
in 2000, they did an event, Radio City did an event at the Pier Ed called Party that. at the Pier. Were Phil you Easton. part of that? I did it. Oh, my, right. I put the whole thing together. The whole together. thing together. The whole thing together. That was a hell of but an event. We I've had, seen the picture. Yeah. We closed down Pierhead. The police sent yeah. the police helicopter because it was a free event. And when we, we'd asked for it not to be a free event and they want, the council wanted it as a free event. And they then they got inundated. They couldn't believe the amount of people that turned up for this free show. But bear in mind, they had Gary Barlow and like we had all sorts of acts on stage. And I remember the, the head of the police came to me during the event. He went, we're sending the police helicopter up here. It's going to cost you 40 grand because uh, we need to disperse the area because there's just too many people pouring down here and we're not going to be able to control it if we don't do something about it. And I went, wow, uh, have I got a choice? He went, nope, I'm just telling you. I went, all right then, well, that's what's happening, isn't it? Um, and Phil Easton, bless him, uh, worked on it with me tirelessly throughout. But that was me, that was my event. And me, so I that was, a, that was a t- yeah, So you had that there, then Lee comes to you with this idea. So I made the festival so happen, yeah. So well, off the, back of, well off the back of part of the PR, I moved away from events because a whole new culture started in this country, which was blame, no blame, no claim. So events died a death after that because people were too frightened and we weren't geared up from this country. Moved away from it and the studios and the music really excelled. We had a great time with the studios and music. Then we created Reminisce in 2014 and we're like, it's time. It's time to come back hard with the event. We launched Reminisce Festival in 2014. Um and so that grew and it grew and it grew. And well, it, let's I, start with the first one. How big was the first one? We had a crisis meeting two weeks before the first one um, where we needed to put 3,000 people in there. We needed 2,000, just 2,200 to break even. Uh, and we'd sold 800 tickets. And we had 10 days to go. And we were panic-stricken. And I mean, we were in. We are like houses on the line here and stuff. You know, we were fully in on this. Uh, and it was probably going to take us under. And we held our nerve. And we ended up doing a full 3,000 in the last 10 days. And we sold it out. And it was, to this day, it was just incredible. And how incredible. many people did you have last year? We went to 6,000 in year two. And now we're up to 20,000 uh, within, it'll be our 10th anniversary next year. Did you ever imagine it was going to be this good? Never. Never, never, never. Um, I never, I never, I never thought we'd get to what it's got to um, so quickly. We won't go. We won't go into the badness of what happened, but there was something happened, and it was sad. And I know the story behind it, and I know how heartbroken you were all at what happened, and an awful lot of it had been set up against you. I'll leave it at that. Did you ever think you'd come back from that? I knew we'd come back from it. I knew we would. I knew we had to. Um, and you know, everyone's raving about how amazing last year was, and it was. It was brilliant. Um, but it cost, I, I lost a lot of money last year. Because you had to bring it back. It, so, the, the only brief, and I, God's honest truth, hand on heart, and you know that I'm straight, I would never tell you the lie. God's honest truth, the only brief about last year's event was this has to, has to go back to being a five-star rated review. Reminis has always been a five-star rated review. It's always been raved about. We always go the extra mile and we always do more than anyone else to make sure that everyone has the best day possible. And... It had to go back to doing that. It had to be everything. And if that meant losing hundreds of thousands of pounds, it didn't matter. That's what had to happen if we were going to continue with this project. So it was like, not about making money, it's about making it back to being that five-star review again. And truthfully, I think we we got it. I think we nailed it. When the pandemic happened, the radio station exploded. We'll talk about that in a second. Were you panicking over Reminisce? Because when it started to set in, how bad this was, the pandemic. Yeah. Um, Plus, you also worked concerts as a DJ. 
yeah. you, you're all over the country. Yeah, so I lost so all, all of a sudden, you must have lost. I lost all all earnings. We lost every penny. We lost all of our earnings for everything. You know, we had music studios here that were regularly hired out and getting used on production jobs and doing everything. They all went. All my, my uh, event services went. All my mar- all my or every aspect of every one of my businesses went with COVID. My DJing gigs went. Everything went. We'd built the radio station, and we turned it off in the December. So we'd built it and we'd been testing it privately for six months. Okay, in the December before COVID, we turned it off and we went. It's working. It's boss. We've tested it privately for six months. We know how good it is. We know it's ready to rock. But it costs us a lot to run it in the back, even though private in the background with with the amount of data it used on servers and all that was really expensive. So we went, right, put it to sleep. I've now got everything together. I've got data together. I've got packs together. I'm now going to go out and get an investor. That was the plan. Um, so we turned off in December. In the March, the COVID hit. I had all my staff, all my workforce, everybody that are normally working on all the different aspects of the business, and everything stopped overnight. I pulled everybody in on a Zoom meeting because we weren't allowed into the office. And um, I went, right, this is what's happening. Everybody, every single one of you are now involved in radio. Loads of them like, I've never worked on radio. I don't know what radio is. Don't, I don't know how to do that. And like, well, we're going to figure it out because this is now what's happening because there's never been a better time. Everyone's stuck at home. Everybody wants something to do and listen to. We're going to bring them a flavour of what we do, what everybody loves, a flavour of going out to the house, the radio station's getting turned on tomorrow. And we literally turned it back on the next day. And the whole workforce, where everybody within our team was assigned a job and a role to do it. Some of them jobs they didn't particularly like or didn't know, but you went about learning on the job. And we all pulled together and we made it happen. And we put it out straight away. We put it into a live public testing straight away when we turned it on. In the, that would have been the, um, the March, then the March. Um, and we moved that quickly. We basically, I reckon we did two years worth of work in six months. We launched officially on the DAB in the November. Because your back was against the wall. Yeah, because we had to find a way, we had to find a way to come out fighting. The other side of that, when you talk about reminisce, is that it was kind of, it was it was the ultimate highs and the ultimate lows. The ultimate lows was being told that we couldn't do the festival um, and the uncertainty of not knowing what that meant. Um, and it was the decision on us not being able to do the festival because of where we fell in the year. Everyone kind of felt that we'd be able to go ahead in the September. The pandemic kicked in in the March. They thought we'll be all right by then. So actually the final decision on us wasn't made until the end of July. It was quite late. And then we got told, we found out. Now by this point, we'd already sold thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of tickets. Now if we, this is the God's honest truth. If every single one of those people had said to us, give me our money back. It, it would have gone. We wouldn't be in on. No doubt we would not be. It would have gone. The company would have gone. Um, the fact that all of our loyal customers that come, ninety probably 95% of all of those people all went, it's fine, just roll me ticket over to next year. Which For, seemed to happen a lot in big concerts as yeah, well, didn't it? Yeah. Everyone was happy to just roll over. Yeah. A very few, a small percent of saying, oh, yeah, I can't yeah, because I've got a wedding. Yeah. But the majority rolled over. What that then meant was when we then went to everybody that we'd spent. Now, bear in mind, in order to do this, you have to pay people money up front, to, a deposit to secure, whether it's a, a service supplier, an actor, DJ, whatever it is. So we'd already we'd received thousands in, but we'd, we'd we spent thousands out. When we were able to go to all those suppliers and everyone and go, Rock, here's where we're at. We're just going to pick the whole event up and we're going to move it to the following year. We want, we're asking you kindly to the money, the deposits, everything to allow us to move everything over because if you don't, there's a chance that we're going to go under here. Unfortunately, 
because we have such great relationships with everyone, everybody played ball. So all the all the ticket customers, they rolled with us, and all the suppliers rolled with us. So all of a sudden we went, okay, we've got no money coming in, but actually we've put a stop on it going out. Yeah. And then, then what happened on the flip side of that is, is after that and the uncertainty in trading through those times, which we had the radio, we were doing the live video streams and the like, we were doing reminiscences live on the TV stream broadcast and all that type of stuff. Um, when they announced the roadmap back to getting open and everybody knew that the festival was going to be on, so that had been 2022, September, um, we then sold the festival out in a day. But thereby there was a problem. Uh, and I, this stayed with me when you first told me about it because nobody had done festivals. All of a sudden, every single festival was catching up with itself and there's only so many toilets. I remember you ringing me up saying you were waiting to get toilets in from Europe and you didn't even know where they were. Italy, yeah. And Brexit didn't ha- help as well. No. So you had Brexit close you down and then you had all the festivals going, well, we, we, ours but, is more priority. So the, the, so the biggest it must problem, have been unreal. It was chaos, but the biggest yeah. issue was is the majority of people had left the industry. So our industry, there, were, there was no people left in it because it closed Staff. down. So Security people. But they'd all left. They were all driving vans. Yeah, they were all working for Amazon yeah. or doing deliveries. Yeah. or So they'd all left the job. And actually, you had, to, like for example, security staff that went, hang on a minute, I'm standing on working on security on an event at a festival and getting £20 an hour. I'm getting a driving job there for Amazon and the same money and I'm owned by five o'clock. Yeah. You know, like, so... It was there was no one left in the industry. There was no one to get you anything. We we couldn't get staff in. You couldn't get supplies. Our toilets, our toilet company, every single one of their toilet company had their toilets out on COVID testing centres all over the country. So you, little things like that, marquees all out on COVID testing centres. So all the stuff, power lights, generators, all out on these portable testing centres. So you couldn't get anything. So we had to order toilets delivered in from Italy. To try, and it was, and we didn't know if they were going to get here in time. Fortunately, they arrived two days before the event, and we were like, "Oh my word!" Like, because if they hadn't arrived, they wouldn't have let us open. You couldn't have opened our toilets. Steve, Got let down security, yeah. everything. Our oh, piece. It was just. Steve, it's a podcast the, on its own. There is so much to talk. We're going to have to do this again because it's just the time just goes. I knew it would be like this doing an interview with um, Steve uh, Laycock, which I just knew. To finish off. How successful is uh, this year's Reminisce and how successful is In Demand doing? In Demand Radio is probably the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. And and I think when you talk about legacy, I feel like In Demand Radio might be the the leg- my legacy. Um, something I'd love to think that In Demand Radio is around for my kids and their kids, like Radio City's been around for the previous generations before us to think that we could have a chance of being established as something as amazing as that locally over such a long period of time, it would be amazing. And I think that it's got, I think it ticks all the boxes that it could do that. So, and it's listening figures are just, they are insane. Absolutely. And I I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know anybody anymore now that doesn't listen to in demand at some point, even if it's not their cup of tea, they still tend to dip in. It's just amazing. Like everywhere to go, it's got it on. It's just, it's unbelievable. Somebody once said to me, you don't need to know. You won't need to look at listening figures to know how good your radio station is. You will know because 
people will be talking about it, people will be listening to it, and everywhere you go, they'll have it on. You'll get in a taxi, the taxi driver, you'll go and get your hair cut, they'll be listening to it in the shop. You'll go into the supermarket and they'll have it on. And that's that's what it's like now. And I think we're only two and a half years old and we're already at that stage. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, amazing. Uh, and then Reminisce Festival. Um, I think this year will be the greatest yet. It's going to sell out uh, and it's going to sell out early. It'll be definitely be sold out before we get into those uh, the hot August months, without doubt, um, and the lineup and sensational the things that were done and the things we've got in place are also sensational. And I do honestly, truly believe, and I say this a lot, but I do, and, I, and I mean it when I say it that I think this year will be the best ever. I think it will be some of the acts that we've secured. I've been trying to book for years. Heather Small from M People I've worked on for years. John Martin from the Swedish House Mafia I've worked on for years. So to get some of these people performing at the show. And some of the, the the twists and turns we've got, and off the back of the amazing reminiscent concert, which was the first time we've ever done an arena show, um, a couple of weeks back, I just I just think it's set up to be something absolutely unbelievably brilliant, and I'm really excited about it. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Why not subscribe? You know it's free, so join us and tell your friends. It's great going on walks and doing whatever you want to do, and then putting P Price on. We've got a back catalogue of over a hundred interviews. Join us. Subscribe. It's free. <laughs> <laughs>